This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, I'm Anita Arnand and thank you for downloading BBC Radio 4's Any Answers, the sister programme to Any Questions. Good afternoon and welcome to Any Answers. So as you've been hearing in the news, um, some heroes don't wear capes. Some grab a fire extinguisher, some grab a narwhal tusk. Others have nothing in their hands at all, but they charge towards danger. Our security services, our police, our paramedics do it all the time. Now on Chris's programme, you heard somebody ask, do the parties have something to learn from people who operated the way they did on London Bridge? Um, What do you make of convicted terrorists being released on tags. Uh, You heard Boris Johnson in the news saying that he wanted something done about early release. What do you think about that? We can talk about the many promises we heard from our politicians this week. Which party do you think is going to do the best for the most vulnerable in society, for the climate, for the NHS, for social care, for jobs, for business? And what did you make of the no-shows to some pivotal television debates and major interviews? Taking your thoughts on all of that, uh, one of the questions asked on our sister programme, are any of the leaders worthy of the title statesman. I want to know what you think about that. And the programme came from Wales, so they were talking Wexit, but we can talk about uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland too. Do we need more devolution? Is it, in fact, inevitable? Your thoughts on any of these issues, 03700 100 444 is the number to call. And you can also tweet us using the hashtag BBCAQ. Let me tell you now, it promises to be a very busy programme indeed. Let us, though, uh, start the conversation with those extraordinary scenes we saw coming from London Bridge. Graham Hewitt, you are our first caller. Calling from Derbyshire, hello. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Um, Graham. I'd just like to say that, um, yet again, um, yes, the scenes and scenes on the bridge um, were, were very troubling and also um, encouraging in some respects, I suppose. However, uh, the scenes on the bridge only came to life because we have been let down yet again by our legislators. Um, the fact that um, dangerous, extremely dangerous people um, are, are let out halfway through a sentence uh, is... It's just a, it's it's just an open goal, um, and and really it it should be, it should have been addressed a long time ago. Every time you hear about one of these attacks, it's the same sort of scenario that the the people that perpetrate them uh, are either uh, certainly known to, to the the police and the security services, and then sometimes including this instance actually have uh, been convicted, and it's really a case of we are not being adequately. Um, defended by by the law in this country, and the law needs to change. And would you? I mean, we've heard the prime minister, who is at London Bridge and who is speaking about this, saying, "Look, I, I just don't believe in early release at all." And I've said so for a long time. Um, do you think that that should apply only to crimes that involve terrorism or violent crime in general? I think it has to be taken on a case by case basis. Uh, I mean, um, I'm, I'm afraid to say that we, we live in a um, in an era um, whereby all terrorism and all, indeed all, all violent crime is, is abhorrent. Uh, but uh, the simple fact is that, um, you know, we, we could talk and did talk to the IRA. Um, and um, some of, the, some of the, the perpetrators of the, um, the, the current um, crop of terrorism um, don't appear to be the sort of people that you can talk to. 
we, we, there's an interesting debate going on, on on Twitter. I tweeted something about this earlier and um, a, a, a huge thread of a debate sort of generated itself underneath. I'll just read you a couple of the comments. Um, one was about whether people should be released early or not. Um, someone called James says, look, I don't think that people can't regret or change their past crimes. But the fact is, if neither of them, and he's talking about the the man who was uh, responsible for the attack, Usman Khan, but also one of those who, who managed to subdue him, who we now find out was uh, 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 somebody who was uh, charged with murder and prosecuted for murder and was on day release. He says, look, but the fact is that if neither of them had been released, no one would have been killed today and at least five people paid dearly for that convict's redemption. In what world is that price worth paying? And somebody else who calls himself Yule Hogg replied saying, but what you're effectively saying is that thousands of prisoners who can be saved Release should be punished for the actions of a minority of prisoners. We do not operate a system of collective punishment in this country. Why not lock everyone up at birth just in case? Um, when you say case by case, that is pretty much what I think most people in the judiciary would say we have. You know, they, people do look at these cases uh, one at a time, but sometimes it, the system just fails. People get through the system, Graham. Well, originally the um, the guy uh, had an indeterminate sentence, and that was appealed. Um, I'm not clear whether the legislation changed or not, to be perfectly honest. Uh, however, um, it, it was appealed, and he, he ended up with a 16-year sentence, and obviously he'd come out um, halfway. Now, it's when I say case-by-case basis, um, you're, there's no such thing as a standard murderer, I guess, but you're, 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 you're typical murderer as such. Tends to, most people uh, tend to um, apparently uh, kill kill people that they know, which is still an awful crime. Um, but it, it's not it, it's not the same level of danger to the general public um, on the basis that uh, the uh, the people that I'm talking about mm. um, uh, just believe in um, well bringing down bringing down society as we know it effectively. Mm. And I don't. I don't think the average average domestic murderer, should we say, um, is of the same um, order of, of destruction uh, in the greater in the greater society. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Let's go to our next caller. Uh, Steve Richards is calling us from Liverpool. Hi. Hi. Hi, Steve. What do you What do you want to say? I'm just wondering. Uh, Isman Khan had been restrained, apprehended, and restrained by the members of the public, and then when he was prostrate on the ground, shot by security police. I'm just wondering if we now operate a shoot-to-kill policy. Well, we, we, I mean, this is, this is going to be investigated um, in the full glare of, of public scrutiny. So, so we, we don't know what they're going to find out. I mean, there has been talk of this, this suicide belt that he was wearing. But let's just, just park that and move back a bit. Um, you heard our last caller saying, look, there is a special category of, of terrorist attacker and licenses should be different when the crimes are terror related and if somebody is known to be on a list they should be treated differently to others what do you say to that Steve? I say terrorism is um, a, a different category I would agree but I also think that there's a very danger if there is any form of shoot to kill policy what if he was the wrong man? What have you been apprehended um, innocently but Im- mistakenly by members of the public and then... Well, you're sure. I mean, I'm, shot. Well, I, I'm, I'm 
pretty sure the police would say we don't have a shoot to kill policy but let, all right thank you very much if, if somebody is working for the police or security services or someone did once work for those services just uh, get in touch and tell me what would have been going through the minds of the officers who, who approached at London Bridge and just what do you think as somebody involved in law enforcement are the laws up to muster that we have right now 03700 100 444 they are firmly on the agenda now after yesterday's attack the prime minister at london bridge putting them right in the spotlight uh, today what do you make of all of this uh, martin says early release was obviously wrong in this case but to remove the right to appeal would be a draconian measure uh, somebody else saying, please, 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 no knee-jerk reactions to this terrible case. Uh, George says, no system is perfect, but what do we do? Keep everyone locked up for life? Let's take another call on this. John Carlo is calling us from Shepton Mallet. Hello. Hello. Hi, what did you want to I'd say? Just to say that the terrible attacks of yesterday make Brexit even more relevant because terrorism is a global phenomenon. And uh, we are not alone in these words. Other countries are attacked, particularly in Europe. And if we stick together, we are more likely to be safer and feel more secure. And particularly now that in the U.S. there is an administration that is quite isolationist and the current president doesn't seem to stick very much by his American allies, we really need to stick together. And so... Brexit seems to me it will make us less safe. Mm -hmm. Of course, the police in this country will still be able to cooperate after Brexit with European police, but it will not be the same level of cooperation and security exchange of information as if we were in, inside an integrated organisation. That's all I want to say. OK, John, thank you very much indeed. Um, 03700 100 444. Um, we can come back to this if you want to. Um, just going to read a few more of your texts and tweets. But then I know a lot of you want to talk about politicians, trust in politicians and so on, and issues of devolution. Just whatever you've heard on the programme, you can comment on today. You're more than welcome. Uh, Simon says, what use is it keeping the next Islamic terrorist in prison for a few years more than the last butcher? They won't change just because they do a 16-year stretch instead of eight. They'll probably get worse. Throw away the key, says Simon. Uh, John says, if prisoners have no hope of early release under licence, it makes keeping discipline in prisons more difficult. Stephanie says it's a bit of a stretch to project the actions of people in the heat of the moment to party manifestos which by their nature have been considered and focus group before being presented to the public. 03700 100 444. Let's just talk about, um, well, let's talk about the calibre of our politicians, the promises that they've been making, the things that you heard uh, from any questions coming from Wales. Chris Bailey is calling us from Essex. Hello. Good morning. Good um, afternoon. Uh, Hi, Chris. Or unless you're in a tent. Yes. Okay. Um, mulling things through. Um, say we get a hung parliament and the Labour Party forms a, an administration with the support of the SNP. And uh, it says on the bottom of the SNP's stands, stop Brexit. So the first thing the SNP do is to stop um, the UK leaving Europe. Great cheers all around in Scotland. But then the SNP goes forward with part of their demands is a second referendum and the SNP succeed. Now, I would like the SNP to succeed. As an Englishman, I really would like Scotland to go. But what happens then? Why would you like them to go? Um, having lived in Scotland, uh, Scotland is a country that really wants its own independence. There is a heartfelt desire in Scots to 
to be an independent country. I, I felt it. I understand it, mm. and I think it's the right thing to do for them. So when you when you but heard that when you heard an expression of that desire coming from Wales last night, uh, when you heard I don't people have a saying, with it. so you th- you think the union is is done for and and should be done for? I do wonder whether the overall union is fit for purpose in in the future. But going back to what I was thinking about. If Scotland then achieves, first of all, stopping the UK leaving the European Union and then leaves the UK Union, the Parliament is then changed, all the Scottish MPs leave, and we end up with no longer a minority Labour government supported by the SNP. How can that be legitimate for people in England? Mm. Because we in England, overall, without the Scottish vote, had an even greater vote to leave Europe. Well, well, but we've been prevented from leaving Europe by people who've left the UK. I mean, you're, you're, you're sort of projecting a, a what-if-hung parliament yeah, scenario. Yeah, and I think yeah. what-if is a legitimate question yeah. to ask under these circumstances. So, what, so what, do you, would, what do you want to happen then, Chris? You've thought about this, obviously. Um, yeah, I think the first thing would have to be that there's an instant referendum in Scotland, no, the entire United Kingdom, not just Scotland, mm. Everybody in England, should Scotland be an independent country? And Englishmen like myself can also vote and support Scottish nationalists. Then we could talk about whether or not, uh, without Scotland, the UK leaves Europe. I just imagine being somebody in Scotland who is sitting listening to you and thinks, hang on a minute, my vote may be outnumbered by people who want to keep the union together, therefore... I'm going to have a bunch of English people to stay where I am. Um, Actually, I I don't think it goes that way around. uh I think it's a very strong groundswell of feeling in England that really Scotland is not beneficial to the United Kingdom and Scotland will be better off Mm. as an independent country. Uh, Mm. That would... That okay. one would have to be put to the population well, at let's, large, let, let, the whole let, of the country. Let me let me spread that question. Thank you very much for your contribution, Chris. Uh, just on the union, um, has your has your mind been changed about the union? The complexity of the political situation that we are in, the power that some parties may have, if we do have a hung parliament, which was the scenario that our, our last caller, Chris, was talking about. Um, what do you think? Are we better together, or is that just that was then and this is now, and we need a different kind of uh, politics for the future? Oh three seven hundred one hundred four 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 on this idea of Wexit or, or, or Wales leaving. Louise Adams says, if the Welsh want independence, good luck to them. Struggling to see how they're going to survive economically. Ed says, Wales exiting from the UK and joining the EU would leave Wales with an even better border problem than Northern Ireland's. Uh, Noah says, we should celebrate the union, not just in economic terms, but historical terms, reflecting back on history, social terms, looking at the four unions and greater clout on the world stage as one nation. We must celebrate the brilliance of England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, Let's take some more calls on this. And also just politicians. Do you have the politicians you think you deserve? Do you trust the politicians that you have now? Um, Rosemary Thomas is calling us from Formby in Merseyside. Hello. Hi. Hello, Hi. Lisa. Hi, Rosemary. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of comments, promises, debates and interviews going on in the last week. Um, yeah. What have you made of what you've heard? Well, I was disappointed. I was more disappointed in Boris not turning up for the TV quiz. I mean... The I quiz? Oh, do, you, do you mean the yeah, debate? Sorry, not, not the quiz. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the, the platform. He yeah. should have been there. 
Um, you know, we need this country needs someone who can actually stand up and face an audience. It might be friendly, it might be hostile, he mightn't like the questions, but he's going to have to face so many more if that's what he wants to do in the future. We don't need a Mr. Ben coming down a, a zip wire in fancy shorts or Lord knows what. We need somebody who can stand up and be a statesperson. I think he needs to lose the mind or whoever actually is is actually telling him he needs to do the things he's doing. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm so disappointed. I'm not a Tory, and I probably wouldn't vote, would never vote Tory. But having said all of that, I'm still looking for a statesperson to lead this country, and I just don't think Boris is the man we need. Do you see any um, statesperson? Well, you can't see many more, can you? I mean, you can see the rest of the people, and yes, they've all got good and, and honest opinions of what they want to do. I mean, we keep getting Boris thrust down our throats every five minutes and it's just not what we need. It's not all they've got to offer us. It's very, very disappointing. OK, thank you very much. 03700 100 444. Uh, Peter Burke is calling us. Hello, Peter. Hello. Hi again. How are you doing? I'm all right, um, thanks, Peter. Yeah. Well, it is about uh, what, what is the definition of a statesman. And, you know, I mean, it's uh, much easier, I think, to identify than to find. Uh, for me, a statesman is somebody who's been prepared to make sacrifices in their own career or their own lives in order to do the best thing for the country. And so examples of that would be people like Dominic Grieve uh, or indeed Ken Clark, uh, people singly of, of whom the uh, Tory party has now disposed. And I think what's left is something very unstatesmanlike indeed. Um, to my mind, Boris Johnson exemplifies the exact mirror image of a statesman, somebody who's been uh, caught out lying on more than one occasion, has twice been sacked from jobs because of telling lies. I mean, and he's he's, he's put it on part. record this week, I mean, I should I should say. Uh, he has put it on record. That he's, he was asked directly by a, a reporter, have you ever yeah. lied? And he said, no, I haven't. I haven't. I might have got things wrong, but I've never lied. Well, that, that in itself is a lie. Um, and, I mean, what, what we're talking about is the difference between doing the right thing for the country and, you know, I mean, there are many examples of that. Uh, pe- people like uh, like Churchill, for example, who's a, a role model for many, and Boris Johnson compared, compared, compared himself to Churchill. Now, the contrast couldn't be greater. Um, this is somebody opportunistic who is actually fighting very hard for a cause to believe in. Mm. Um, so, how could we call this statement like? Okay, so you're, no, you're you're no fan of Boris Johnson. I can hear that. Okay, yeah. so so of the rest of the field, um, and they may not chime completely with your politics, but is there somebody? out there who you think, you know what, this is, this is the man straight woman of the hour. This is who we need right now. We need people like Dominic Grieve, for example. Um, you know, and, and he's a Tory. I'm not, I'm not a, a fan of the Tory party, but um, I mean, it's interesting. People like, like him or indeed um, people like Ed Vasey or uh, Ken Clark have now been discarded from the Tory party because of their beliefs and they have stood up for what they believe in. Now, you might or might not uh, agree with them, but you've got to respect them for what they've stood for. Mm. And that's what statesmanlike behaviour is, in my view. Intr- I mean, um, interesting, I you, say, you, say you're not a, you say you're not a Conservative. Uh, that's not the way your heart beats. But the, the three people that you have singled out are Conservatives. You asked Owen in the programme, it was asked, mm. name people from outside your own political background. Uh, and, OK, I mean, I well, I mean, from, from, from across, I said across the board. I mean, just look across the board and tell me whose shoulders are giants' shoulders right now? Well, I mean, you've got to look at people like Keir Starmer, for example, on the Labour side, or indeed um, Joe Swinson or Tom Brake on the, on the Lib Dem side. These are people, I think, who are 
able to make, make a case. They, they fight for what they believe in. Mm. They express their views with honesty and forthrightness. And I think they're the kind of people we need to see in power. I've got, I've got another. I mean, there are people who uh, disagree with you and disagree passionately with you. This one uh, here on Twitter from somebody whose Twitter handle is I Love Brexit. Uh, Boris is a statesman. In fact, the only one amongst these minnows says uh, I Love Brexit. Um, Peter, just before I let you go, I, you said hello yeah. again, and it just just suddenly I remembered who you are. You you are a, a, a GP, if I remember rightly. Is that right? You Absolutely about... right. Yes, I am. Okay, right. Am. So, so one of the things that has been um, in the spotlight this week uh, are the promises the parties are making on social care, and everybody has acknowledged that we are facing something of a social care crisis yeah. in this country. What have you made of the promises you heard this week? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I think you probably have seen the Institute of Fiscal Studies um, appraisal of the various manifestos. Now, they are very condemning of the, um, uh, particularly the, the, the Tory manifesto. They, they single out the fact that there's actually very little provision uh, for social care. The Tories seem to believe it doesn't exist. Um, on the health service, I can tell you very, very frankly, um, we have a, a, um, a manifesto that's promising 50,000 new nurses. We find out in a small print that actually means, it means 31,000. Um, 6,000 new GPs seeing 50,000, 50 million patients a year. Now, first of all, where are those nurses going to come from? Now that uh, the, the uh, bonus we've had from the European Union is evaporating, people in the, uh, in the European Union uh, aren't coming here to practice nursing and medicine anymore mm. in the numbers they used to. And we're going to be reliant on, on countries outside Europe mm-hmm. who can ill afford those resources. We're asking people to travel to the UK to fill the gaps left by Europeans okay. and depleting their own countries of those valuable resources. And, 20, and the, 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 the sums on GPs are completely wrong. They, they estimate that the average GP, assuming that all GPs are working full-time, which they don't, the average GP will be seeing 47 patients per day. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of health service is that? What kind of service to patients is it? Peter, thank you very much. And thank you very much indeed. Uh, 03700 100 444 on social care. Steve has said, um, clearly social care has to be a national responsibility. Individuals cannot be left to be broken by the lottery of their own ageing. Alan says, Tories want cross-party talks on social care, but we're dead set against cross-party talks on Brexit. Uh, another one here from another Steve. He says, the first thing that would make me feel secure about social care would be confidence that it is not on the firing line for the next round of cuts. And as for statesmen, a lot of you have got uh, things to say about who you see out there in the field um, standing head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, Rodri says, Labour's manifesto is great. Investing in green economy, honest, principled leader. What's not to like? Um, let's take some more on this. On social care, Anne Shelbourne is calling us uh, from Lancashire. Hello, from Camforth. Hi, Anne. Oh, hello, Anita. Hi there. What did you want to say? Um, well, my partner and I are both disabled and I've been having social care on and off since 1993 and I've never known it to be so dysfunctional, frankly, at the moment. Um, my partner used to be my full-time carer and until um, 18 months ago he had a cycling accident and I was left at when he had the accident, I was left for 24 hours with no emergency social care. Fortunately, I knew a retired nurse who came in and, you know, helped me out and look after me for 24 hours, but I was just left with nothing. And can, then, can I just ask, what does that I mean? What does that actually mean to be left for 24 hours? What does that mean to you, Anne, uh, physically in your day? What, what does that mean doesn't get done if you are left for 24 um, hours? Help with, um, you know, food. Uh, I, I can't cook or lift a kettle and make hot drinks stuff like that so um i didn't the night it happened you know the afternoon that it happened i didn't have anything to eat or drink that night the cat wasn't fed um i you know things that help with um showering and stuff mm. like that and mm. um, so 
I was just left for 24 hours, but fortunately I did manage to get a a retired nurse, I know, but, you know, plenty of people wouldn't have had anybody, and I haven't got any relatives around here. And then when my partner came out of hospital after eight months, I had to really fight with them to get an adequate care package for him to come home with because they were trying to send him home with less of a care package than me, and he's more disabled than me now. Um, And... Um, you know, I, I'm quite assertive and I know my rights and everything. Um, and even with that, you know, I had such a job and I had to sort of men- I had to start saying, right, well, I'm going to contact my MP, mm. which tends to focus their minds a bit. But, you know, if I'd been a lot older than I am, 64, but if I'd been in my late 80s and didn't know my rights and couldn't really stand up for myself as much as I could, I could have really been left in a mess or not, you know, or had a partner who was sent home with a completely inadequate um, care package, mm. which wouldn't have been safe for either of us. And, I, you know, I had to say that to them. Um, and I think the Prime Minister doesn't want to talk about social care because actually the Conservatives aren't planning to do anything about it. The amount of money that Grant Schaap said um, on the programme, one billion a year, is a drop in the ocean. I think that it was the King's Fund said a couple of years ago that social care needed four billion putting into it that year just to keep things from completely collapsing which Mm. i think now they have done well i I mean i've got i've got the king's fund numbers here right in front of me so what they were talking about was an aging population and younger adults with disabilities living longer and they say that you know this is pushing up the 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 cost of caring um and i think they uh, said based on the current spending a uk funding gap of 18 billion pounds will open up by 2030 uh, 31. So uh, this one billion a year uh, does not seem to meet a funding deficit that is on this scale, is what the King's Fund have said. No, it absolutely doesn't. And at the moment, um, you know, the Labour policy would make a lot of difference to us, free social care for over 65s, because I'm 64, my partner's 69. And we get some help from the local authority, but we have to pay over £500 a month ourselves towards Mm. our care. So that would make a lot of difference to us and to hundreds of thousands of other people who need social care, because at the moment there's still um, a million and a half older and disabled people who need social care who aren't getting it. Although they are, I mean, the IFS have been pretty scathing about the costings of, of, of these manifestos and, and just saying, look, you know, you can promise the world, but how are you going to pay for it? Well, I'm hoping that they will reverse some of the cuts that have been made um, during the last sort of um, nine years by the Conservatives and the Lib Dems together. I mean, they've absolutely slashed taxes for corporation tax, um, inheritance tax, capital gains tax, even the bank levy. That the year two years ago, when the King's Fund said that about they, they needed four billion for social care, I was really hoping that in the budget there would be something for social care, and there was nothing that year for social care, and yet the. Um, bank levy was cut by four billion that's four billion pounds they gave to the bankers who don't need cuts at all and nothing for social care okay listen thank you very much and i'm sorry sorry life sounds like it's been really difficult for you lately thank you very much for calling in uh just what the um ifs you mentioned the ifs paul johnson who's the director of the institute for fiscal studies he was looking at all of the uh, manifestos this week 
Uh, and this was his verdict. The Labour and Liberal Democrat manifestos were notable for the scale of their ambitions. The Conservative one is not. If a single budget had contained all these tax and spending proposals, we would have been calling it modest. As a blueprint for five years in government, the lack of significant policy action is remarkable. Uh, let us take Ian McIntyre's thoughts, calling us from West Wales, from Barmouth. Hello, Ian. Hello there. Hi, you want um, to talk about social care as well? Uh, well, my, my problem is about the way in which the Tory uh, spokesperson on, on your programme claimed that the Labour Party plans were unrealisable, and that, of course, was something that the IFS said as well. That, that's uh, Grant Shapps who you're talking about. Yeah, do go yeah. on. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, uh, and the, the trouble with the IFS is that they are a very straight-laced organisation. Um, I mean, in truth... Um, if you ask where can the money come from, well, the money can come from the taxation, precisely the sort of taxation that the Labour Party is um, talking about, um, the taxation of the richest 5%, a taxation which Paul Johnson is saying will result in all rising prices and uh, will uh, be unrealisable. But this just isn't true because we can divert the surpluses in the multinational finance companies towards paying their taxes by being discriminatory in favour of the many in the organisation so mm. that we cap the executive salary share, uh, executive salaries, uh, shares bonuses, consultancy fees, and we treat the insurance and pensions industry as the class ripoff it is by imposing caps on the payouts to the very rich for their retirements for their death and by uh, taxing the dividends to those very companies that Google and Amazon, etc. pay. So, and so, then we then find ourselves yeah. in, in the position of being um, able to fund the sorts of projects for social care and other things that the Labour Party is talking about. Can I just, can I just briefly say... Yeah. Um, um, if we should be taxing the rich directly. We should be taxing them in terms of uh, the assets that they themselves hold. Um, the, the, the 800 billion that we talk about, which includes the acquisition of all those assets uh, in nationalisation, which would themselves function as offsetting assets, the 800 billion would work out per um, each for each of the richest one percent of households would be just £500,000 over the next five years. Mm. That's easily funded by then selling off a second and third home. Can, can, I, just, can I just ask you this, though? I mean, there, there have, in the manifesto, and I don't know whether you heard um, Jeremy Corbyn's interview uh, with the BBC this week, with Andrew Neil. I saw clips colleague. from it. Yeah. I actually, so I so there, there, the, 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 the issue was that, you know, there are, there are many promises being made, and um, people fall back on this idea that it's going to come from taxation, Direct taxation yeah. or cutting corporation uh, or sorting out the corporation increasing. tax, increasing corporation tax. Yeah. And then something like the, the WASPy women issue comes up, which then is not costed. And when pushed, Jeremy Corbyn said, no, we, we, you know, we, we may have to borrow to yeah. pay for that because it's a moral issue. Yeah. And that there are so many demands right now with this ageing population, yeah. with moral issues like that. Yeah. Are you happy for us to borrow to cover those things? Well, I'm, I'm happy for us to um, consider borrowing those things, but I don't think it's necessary. I mean, you know, really, um, who will we, we be borrowing from? We'll be borrowing from the very rich, and they demand a premium for the privilege of using their money. That's money that should instead be taxed well, away from them directly. Right, OK. No, but I mean, we, we'll be borrowing on the international markets. We'll be borrowing from... from well, we don't from need indif- to okay. if we implement a proper um, 
system. Taxation regime you think will cover it? For the very rich here. All right, Ian, thank you very much indeed. 03700 100 444. Uh, Alison has written in, I quite agree with the woman who worked uh, with the woman who worked in social care for 30 years. Oh, sorry, let me read that again. There's a punctuation mark missing. Um, I quite agree with the woman who just called. I've worked in social care for 30 years. It has never been this bad, says Alison. People are living in terrible circumstances just at the point when they don't have the strength to fight for it. Uh, Labour has a plan, the Tories do not. Um, This one here from Simon, social care should be cross-party, but nobody talks to anybody anymore. John says, uh, government in this country is grossly failing in its duty to look after the well-being of its people. Uh, Let's take another on social care. Peter Scott, you want to talk about social care too, don't you? Calling from Mellis in Suffolk. Hi, Peter. Yes, yes. hello, Anita. Yes, I would like to, if possible. Yeah, go for it. Um, Now, I am pretty ancient, um, being 80, just over, but I'm lucky with my health. Even so, I'm one of the ageing population that is so often cited, Mm -hmm. quite accurately, as being a major drain on our care services and the NHS. I just don't want to be a drain on the NHS or our care services. I want to die when I'm ready to die. I want to save lots of money for the NHS. I want the choice of going away, preferably Mm. in a nice little pink room, hugging my family and saying it's been great. Remember me as I am. So what you're, t- I mean, you're talking, you're talking, you're bringing us onto a debate that we have had on this program before. It hasn't been raised in in relation to this, but you're talking about right to die, aren't you? I am. I'm talking about not wanting to die you... in agony, like my cousin had to yeah. die with motor neuron disease. I, I understand. I mean, well, I'm not, I'm not steering away from the importance or um, the 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 passion with which you're speaking, but when it comes to that right to die debate. It's a, it's a very different and separate debate. I'll, I'll throw one I thing back to you, I'll, Peter. Can I, mean, I, can I, can yeah. I slightly disagree with yeah, that? Yeah, OK, sure. Go on. I see it as a way of saving money for the social care provision. But what, I mean, entirely unemotionally. You know, there was a... There, there, but isn't, isn't that a, a, a terrible indictment that it should come to a balance sheet, somebody's life like that, Peter? And there are so many who will not agree with you about that. Mm, or will say, no, this but, is a slippery slope. The, if, if financial concerns are what drives this policy... No, it isn't a financial concern. With me, it's primarily yeah. a moral concern. I, I, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm happy for you to have raised the point, Peter. Um, thank you very much indeed for your call. 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Shall we talk about uh, the climate and climate policies? There was a, a, a big debate on climate this week. Uh, two parties chose not to take part in that, or their leaders didn't. I think Michael Gove came in to um, stand in for Boris Johnson, but because there were leaders there, he wasn't uh, um, able to speak or permitted to speak, whichever way you want to come at this. Uh, What do you make of the policies that you have heard on the climate from all the parties? David Cutts is calling us from Greenwich in London. Hello, David. Uh, Hello, Anita. How are you? I'm very well, Um, thank you, David. Go on. Good. Um, So, the the policies, the way policies are expressed in the current manifestos on, on, on climate change are, well, it's good to have it there. Um, but we're now talking about having a competition for the number of trees that are going to be planted. Now, planting trees is great. It's a good thing because the, the trees absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Um, but actually, that's just a little bandage on a spot on the corner of the wound. What, what we have 
um, is a situation which is now humanity's greatest problem. Um, and we in the UK and the industrialized West have been contributing to this problem for two centuries by burning fossil fuels so, so and crea so creating a change in the atmosphere. If they're, if they're looking too small, if the trees are, are too small... We're absolutely uh, looking too small. So what do you, you, know, what, do you want, what do you want them to do? What we need to do is to have a, a, as a plan to, to create a massive shift in behaviour in, in industry, in domestic life, um, in transport and in aviation everywhere. Give me your to, top three. To reduce our carbon footprint. Yeah, give me your give me your top three initiatives that that government should be looking at as an well, absolute priority. Well, I think um, tackling the heat efficiency of homes is very important. Right? We lose a lot of lot of energy in inefficiently designed homes. I, I'm lucky I live in a, a modern flat and, and it's got a low profile, but a lot of people live in very inefficient places mm. and we need to do a lot of work to keep people, um, keep low carbon footprints. We have to get um, transport um, much less dependent on fossil fuels and switched into electric um, electric provision mm -hmm. and we have to I'm afraid push back on on air travel because that's very difficult to turn into electric travel mm -hmm. and um, reduce at the margin reduce that or at least bring its growth to a halt um, because otherwise the, the the temperatures we are facing and the heat trapped in the atmosphere yeah. will get too much well, worse. I I asked you for the, your top three and you gave me one. I'm grateful for that. Thank you, David. Um, 03700 100 444. Just on that issue of trees, I know Chris Mason uh, went through some of the numbers. Uh, just in case you didn't hear that programme, let me tell you what the parties have promised this week uh, because trees figured uh, very prominently uh, in their pledges. The Tories pledged to plant 30 million trees a year for the next five years. The Lib Dems said 60 million a year in the same time frame. The Greens said 70 million a year over the next 10 years. Um, Friends of the Earth were asked... Who, whose manifesto promise they like. They said Labour's plan is the most ambitious to date. Um, got some thoughts coming in on Twitter. Paul Murphy says, you've got to admire how effortlessly we trivialise complex issues like climate change into simplistic arguments over whether or not it's possible to plant a lot of trees. Stephanie says Brexit will take years to work itself to a conclusion and we can take drastic action on mitigating the climate crisis now. Unfortunately, there seems to be an absolute lack of political will to do so. Uh, Murphy says uh, the fact that our Prime Minister wasn't willing to attend the Channel 4 climate change debate should tell you either the Tories don't have much to contribute or he doesn't believe in the issue or that it doesn't believe the issue is important enough to warrant his attendance. So let's take another call on this. Celia Bailey calling us from Cardiff. You want to talk climate too, don't you, Celia? Well, I was at the, the, the um, programme last night and one thing I cannot reconcile is everybody telling us here that if we accept global warming is a fact, then we have to cut back on this and do different things. But how, what I can't understand is how, if we, if we proceed with Brexit, how are we going to reduce our carbon emissions? We hear about these much-vaunted deals that are going to be done with the USA, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. How is that going to help our carbon emissions? I'm, I'm at a loss to understand that. And I think we urgently need, and um, probably either the Lim Deb Democrats, Plaid or 
particularly the Green Party, should be doing an environmental assessment as a matter of the greatest urgency. So when you say when you say Brexit's going to affect, uh, and you're talking about the trade deals, you're talking about the air miles that would be needed to get products over well, here that were coming from. Well, the air miles, the from, miles it's got yeah. to, it's going to produce carbon emissions in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Celia. And I, yeah. I cannot understand it, and I've written to everybody I can think of, and I mean, if you if you go to the Department of, of Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy. They apparently only only count the UK's national national greenhouse gases when they're over that they take place within the UK borders. Celia, who 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 realistically um, do you think is going to guide us in the greenest possible way into the future, and who gets your vote? Um, I think personally, I'm going to vote Plaid Cymru. Um, the Green Party. I have written to the Green Party. I've written mm. to their two leaders. I've written to um, sure, but why Plaid? I mean, let, let's not go through the letters that you've written, but but why? What is what is Plaid promising you that makes you uh, believe that they well, are the ones? Pro- it's promising me a second mm. vote anyway. So uh, so it's Brexit is the heart of it. That's why. That's why Plaid is well, for you. Yeah. No, it's not really. Yeah. I cannot understand. I think the media has grossly let us down in the sense that they have these two news items very often following one another: Brexit and carbon emissions. And they fail to link the two and give us any information about what the possible outcome could be. OK. Celia, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Paul Champagne is calling us from London. Hello, Paul. Good afternoon to you. I was uh, going to make a joke today? about celebrating your call, uh, but you well, must have no, heard no, that no, a few times. Paul Champagne. OK, go on. <laughs> Listen, I'm an aged, um, trained civil engineer and economist. Um, and uh, from what, everything that I've read and looked at over the years on uh, climate change... I think that none of the parties are being honest about what is genuinely needed to achieve any of the carbon targets that they, they may or may not be proposing. Even the Tories with their, 50, uh, their 2050 target um, are not telling the, the, the correct story about what actually this will involve for all of us. Um, I, th- I think, and, and then if you look at the Labour Party, um, who've been moaning uh, probably with some justification about austerity for the last 10 years, I think the reality is that um, to achieve uh, a carbon neutral target in the 30s uh, would involve a level of austerity at least five times higher than what we've experienced over the last 10 years. And then we would need to implement that for the next 50 years. Mm. So it's, uh, there's just no real honesty at all about what people are going to be asked to do. And the reason that there's no honesty is that none of these parties would get elected to anything if they really told us what we're going to have to go through. Well, then you're, I mean, you're, um, you're painting a situation where we're doomed then, aren't you, Paul? Well, I don't think we're doomed mm. um, because I, I have faith uh, in our ability as human race. Um, to navigate our way through these things. Mm. But we won't get the chance to do that unless politicians and all of us, in fact, are honest about what is really needed here. Okay, Paul, thank you very much. Let's go to John Tottenham, who's calling us from Sandwich. Hello. Hi. Um, So I think to combat climate change, a future government needs to not just tackle the easy issues such as energy policy, but we need to tackle the animal farming industry, which is the second biggest cause of our emissions, and emissions from the aviation industry, 
But for example, the meat industry, the only action that I've heard being suggested is that we need to be eating less beef, which for one shifts the full responsibility for the issue away from the politicians and onto us. But secondly, it's a massive simplification as the issue with cows is the methane they produce. Mm -hmm. Methane only stays in the atmosphere for a few years while carbon dioxide is around for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And actually in terms of carbon dioxide, cows are good as they're grass fed and pasture is a carbon sink. Chickens are far worse in terms of carbon dioxide, in particular indoor battery chickens, um, because Mm. of the soil they're fed. Okay, um, so so you would you would so you would refocus on aviation and on husbandry. Um, Those would be Mm. your priorities. Danny Jones is calling us from Oswestry. What would be at the top of your list, Danny? And, And I think you're getting quite irritated with people mocking the tree planting. Are you? Yeah, I am. Uh, We we've got about forty native species of trees in this country. There's 25 or so imported, and then there's about another 20. That they're called endemic. They yeah. grow in certain areas. Yeah, have you? Have you? I mean, I, I just wanted because we haven't got much time. We've got, always got so many calls. But Danny, you've been planting trees. How many have you planted? This year, I've planted 1157, and I've planted 572 large shrubs. So a large shrub would be mm-hmm. something. Uh, and was it was it was it an easy thing to do? Danny? Yeah, it's, it's an easy thing to do, but the question is, where are you going to plant them? If, if you have an area of scrubland mm. and you plant trees there, what happens to the naturalised wildlife within the area? Okay, okay. Are you upsetting the local ecological balance? Danny, um, sorry that it was such a short time, but thank you very much. I'm glad we got your call. Apologies to John, apologies to Martin, apologies to all those we didn't get to. We're here same time next week. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Any Answers. Don't forget, if you want to hear any questions or you'd like to invite the programme to your venue, then please go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions. I'm Anita Arnand. Thank you for listening.